This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders among the people. Opposition rose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freemen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandra, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they cannot stand against the wisdom of the spirit as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen break, speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders of the teacher of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before Sahandran. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who are sitting in the Sahandran looked intently at Stephen, and they saw his face, which was like the face of an angel. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? Wow, look at you out there. I'll tell you what. How'd you enjoy summer? <laughs> Understand this is called termination dust. It's a harbinger of winter that's coming. Yeah, you're right. These summers are short here in Alaska. Well, it keeps the relatives away, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, there you have it. <laughs> I'm learning quickly, aren't I? Yeah, I surely am. I want to tell you a story. It leads into our passage today. It's a vacation that Lori and I took many, many years ago uh, to Boston. Have you been to Boston? Okay. And that is a historic city. And all around, of course, are the places that remind us of uh, the American Revolution. Uh, it's full of history. On this particular day, we took the T, that's their subway, out to the Kennedy Library, and oh, what a what a great experience that was! Um, most of you know that I love history, and for me, history began with President Kennedy. Um, the events surrounding his life were the first historic events I can remember. No, November twenty second, nineteen sixty three, in Dallas. I remember that. It's like man, the first historical event I can really remember in my lifetime. And so going there and seeing that history was just fabulous. And on the way back, uh, we were stopped at, in the subway station. There was a man, and he was sitting kind of by himself in a, in a long coat with a briefcase. And I look over, and Lori says, isn't that? I go, yeah, I think it could be. And It is. It's Michael Dukakis. And, of course, Michael Dukakis was two months away from winning the presidency. In September, he was ahead in the polls. And, of course, in November, uh, he, he lost... Uh, to the first George Bush uh, senior, right? And uh, we sat there waiting for the subway car to come. We had a great conversation with uh, Michael Dukakis. It's very interesting. And it just struck me that here we were at the presidential library, right, remembering uh, President Kennedy 
And there we are in the subway on the way back to Boston. And here's a man that was two months from the presidency, literally from having his own presidential library and being remembered forever, right? Sitting in obscurity in a subway. Wasn't that ironic, huh? But we had a great conversation with him and we made it back into the harbor area and we went to the aquarium in Boston. Any of you remember that aquarium? You ever been there? It is a great aquarium. And we were there and they had a penguin exhibit. Now, Lori introduced me really uh, to my love for nature and wildlife. And she did that by having me sit on Sunday evenings at first begrudgingly watching nature. And Lori loves those nature programs. And I do now, I'm glad to say. Um, but she just has an affinity towards animals and aquatic animals in particular. And so Lori really likes penguins. So it was a big deal to go to the penguin exhibit there and to see this huge exhibit with all these penguins. And we were sitting there and there was a little lecture on the penguins and they talked about how it's important not to throw foreign objects into the, the penguin enclosure because if the penguins get a hold of that, they'll take it back to their nest and it could be really harmful to the penguin population there. And so we heard the little lecture and we were watching and they had all the penguin keepers down in the exhibit and they had their clipboards and pencils and they were going up to each penguin and looking at their little wristband and they were making notes about how much they ate and what their health was like. And we're just watching this and there's crowds of people and there's little children and it's noisy, this great penguin hall exhibit. Okay? And... um Everything's going really, really well. And then Lori notices something. Now, you may not know this about Lori, but Lori pays attention to details. She, I mean, nothing gets by her. Okay? She's a detailed person. She sees things that most of us see but don't see or would ignore or wouldn't really, we just just gloss over. But she sees it. For example, this morning, how many of you have ever seen on your communion cup there's a cross? You ever notice that? A couple of you have? There's a cross on our communion cup. Lori noticed that this morning. She looks over at me and she says, Gee, look, have you ever noticed there's a cross on the communion cup? I said, Well, there absolutely is. That's the kind of thing she pays attention to detail. So we're there at the penguin exhibit, and all of a sudden, Lori sees this little penguin come up behind one of the penguin keepers. And the penguin keeper had kept their clipboard on a little rock, and on it was a pencil, and the penguin snatched the pencil. Nobody saw it. Lori did. And that penguin was running off to its little penguin nest in a den inside these rocks, right? Now, Lori, being a lover of nature, having listened to the lecture, having been told that any foreign object in the penguin enclosure threatens the penguin colony. So what does Lori do? All these people are looking and they're talking and there's all this commotion. And Lori yells out, Pencil! Right? And it's like, it's like all of a sudden the whole place got quiet. The kids stopped. The parents stopped. The the, the people, the penguin keeper, they even, it's like the penguin stopped. They're like, 
What in the world? And Lori's all, pencil, pencil, pencil. And she's yelling pencil, right? It's like a, a secret service agent protecting the president that yells gun, right? That's Lori. And I'm not kidding. And they look, they go, the penguin, it has a pencil. And she knew exactly where it went. And they went and they retrieved the penguin. Or the, not the penguin, the pencil from the penguin. <laughs> they received, they retrieved the pencil from the penguin. And I like to say, that's how Lori saved the penguin colony. Okay, yeah. Alright. True story. This morning, we're in the book of Acts, and again we're in chapter 6. And seven, and uh, we are going to encounter again for the third week a man named Stephen. Now, why are we spending so much time with Stephen? We're spending so much time in Stephen because Stephen is a man with conviction and courage. Okay, conviction about the scriptures and the teachings of Jesus. And the courage to speak out about something that really was threatening the spiritual well-being of the Jewish people. It was as if he was yelling out to the Sanhedrin and all those who were gathered, right, who had accused him of speaking against Moses and God. It's as if he is, in his own way, yelling out, pencil. Okay? He's telling them there's something that you're doing that spiritually is threatening your well-being. And I'm going to call it to your attention because I have conviction that God has given me about the Scripture and about the teachings of Jesus. And I have the courage to speak out about it. Because the bottom line is I really do care about you, even though you're persecuting me. Okay? This is a pencil moment. And what's going to happen here in this passage that we're going to read is that Stephen is going to answer the charges that are levied against him. False charges, by the way. You might recall last week he was teaching in the synagogue of the freedmen. Uh, These were the descendants of Jews who had been taken uh, into captivity and who had been slaves in Rome. And they settled after they were freed in the city of Rome, right, proper. They were there in Italy, Rome proper. And uh, eventually, uh, the descendants of that group of Jews made their way back to Jerusalem. And they had a synagogue. Now, this was what was called a Hellenist synagogue. These were Jews who were really influenced by Greek culture and primarily uh, spoke the Greek language as opposed to the Hebrew Jews who spoke Aramaic and Greek. And it was said that at at one time in Jerusalem proper, uh, there were as many as 200 different synagogues and many of them were Hellenistic or they were Hebrew Jews, but they were based in language and culture and people went there to learn in a language that they understood. And this is this one synagogue where Stephen was. And he was teaching, and he was teaching his understanding of the Old Testament. 
as it pertains to Jesus and Jesus being the fulfillment, of course, of the law uh, and Jesus uh, being the one sacrifice, eliminating the need for what? The sacrifice that took place in the temple. Okay, So he's teaching these things. And there were those who opposed him. Jews, Hellenistic Jews that opposed him. And they wanted to stop him because they saw this as a threat to what they believed. And they couldn't argue with him. The scripture said he was just full of power and wisdom. They couldn't. They couldn't refute him. So what did they do? Uh, They attacked his character. They attacked his person. And they lied about what he was saying. And this is what they said. They said, he speaks against Moses and against God. Specifically, he speaks against the law of Moses and he speaks against God. That is, he's speaking against the temple and the importance of the temple in the Jewish religion and faith. And that was the accusation that was made against him. That was uh, what's called blasphemy. And in the Jewish tradition, someone could be executed only for blasphemy. And so they wanted him out of the scene. So they took him to the Sanhedrin, all right, the ruling Jewish council, and it was there that these charges were brought against him. And um, they were the same charges that were brought against Jesus. The same charges brought against Jesus. Only with Jesus, the charges didn't stick. And that's why... um, The Sanhedrin appealed to Rome, and eventually Jesus made his way to Pilate, and ultimately uh, it was Rome that crucified him uh, on the basis of what? Treason, right? Because there's no king but Caesar. And, And who is this King Jesus stuff? So they got Jesus executed, but kind of in a roundabout way. Well, here, Stephen is facing the same charge. He's facing the same charge that Jesus did. And he's going before the exact same council, the Sanhedrin. And it would have been the the high priest, Caiaphas, who would have been, what? Kind of running the trial. Same person that that Jesus stood before. And here it is, Stephen. Now, you might recall that when we first were introduced to Stephen, he was chosen um, by the people to give care to the Greek or Hellenistic Jewish widows. And the apostles had said, you know, go and choose seven from among you. And all of them have Greek names. And we know that Stephen and, of course, Philip, who we're going to be introduced to here in chapter 8, that they were the leaders in this movement. But they also, okay, did more than just serve the widows and serve tables. Stephen. Stephen was an evangelist. That is, he took the message of Christ. And he shared it with others. So, we get into chapter 7. And in verse 1, he's standing before the high priest. And the high priest asked Stephen, Are these charges true? Okay, Are these charges true? Essentially, really, what he's asking is this. Are you innocent or guilty of the accusations made against you? Now, if I were on trial for my life, you know what I'd probably say? I'd say, you know what? Absolutely not. I'm not guilty of these charges. Let me explain to you. 
But that isn't what Stephen did. Stephen took an opportunity not to defend himself, but to clearly explain what he was teaching in the synagogue of the freedmen that got him into trouble. It's as if to say, well, yeah, I'm being charged for something, but if you're going to charge me, let's make it really clear what you're charging me for. And so he's going to really clarify for them so they really understand. And so he's taking advantage of this opportunity. Now, there's three things he's going to do in his speech, which, by the way, is the longest speech recorded in the book of Acts, okay? The longest speech recorded in the book of Acts. There's three things that he's going to do, and these three things really um, prepare the way to take the gospel out of Jerusalem to Samaria and ultimately to the Gentile world, okay? It opens the door for the gospel to a non-Hebrew Jewish audience. That's why Stephen spends, excuse me, Luke spends so much time in this section of, of his book of Acts. Because this is a, a pivotal moment preparing the church to move out from Jerusalem. This is what he does. There are three major themes that Stephen brings in his speech to the Sanhedrin. Number one, that God's activity is not confined to a specific place, to a geographical region, namely Israel. Now, what he's going to do is he's going to start by reviewing the history of the Jewish people, the history of the nation of Israel, how it all began. He's going to start with Abraham. Then he's going to go to Joseph. Then he's going to go uh, and talk about Moses and so on and so forth. He starts from the beginning and he's saying, listen, you may think that you're a special people, but beginning with Abraham, God told him you're going to be the father of many nations, that that." That what God intends for the people of the world is not limited to a specific people or geographic place. You think that it's limited to you, but it's not. God intends something much greater, and He's going to use us for that. So the first thing is, is He's saying, listen, God was present, God was acting in ways before there even was a promised land that, that, that we built a nation out of. The second thing he does is says, worship acceptable to God is not confined to the temple in Jerusalem. Worship isn't confined to one place. So God's activity extends beyond one place called Israel, and God's presence is not confined. He's not in a box called the temple. If, if God is not confined to, to one place, if in, in fact God intended that, that from Abraham all nations would be blessed, and if worship of God and God's presence extended beyond this one place they had built and confined Him in called the temple, then what are the implications of that as far as taking the message of the gospel out into the world, right? It's important. But here's the third thing. Here's the third thing. He says, and you are just like all your ancestors, going all the way back to Moses. You talk about the law and how important the law is, but but you don't keep it either. And you're just like the, the people that Moses brought the law to originally who were disobedient to God. And you put such an emphasis on this. Look at yourselves in relationship to the law. Right? And so what he says is, 
you are like your ancestors that whenever God has brought a prophet or a person to speak to you to help reorientate or reframe your understanding of His intention for you, you don't listen, you kill Him. You kill Him. And then He says, just like the one that the prophets foretold, the righteous one. Who is He speaking of? Jesus. And He said, you killed them, and you even killed Him. Okay? So, God's not confined to a specific ge- geographic region. That God has a greater plan for the world that goes beyond Israel. That God's presence isn't confined to a place of worship called the temple. In fact, He says that, that the Jewish people worship the Lord before there even was a temple. Okay? And you won't receive any correction that God brings you. You kill the people that God brings to correct you. That was inflammatory. That was radical. In fact, the scholar F.F. Bruce says that it was at this point that the, the Hebrew Jewish followers of Jesus may have wanted to distance themselves from the Hellenistic or Greek Jewish followers of Jesus because the Hebrew Jewish followers of Jesus very quickly uh, in the development of the Christian faith believed, well, there is such a thing as a spiritual priesthood. We read about that in, in, in the Scripture, in the New Testament writings. There is such a thing as a spiritual sacrifice. There is such a thing as a spiritual temple, Right? But Stephen's message is so radical that literally is what he's saying is, you know what? You got it all wrong. You built a temple made with human hands that, that, that you want to put God in, but God is much too great. God is much too grand. His message is so radical as to imply that you had it all wrong. You shouldn't, you didn't even need it to build a temple, which would have been much more radical than the Jewish Hebrew followers of Jesus, okay? And so F.F. Bruce says at this point, they may say, hey, hey, wait a minute, Stephen. They may say, okay, uh, this is a little radical. You're really going out there. And in fact, what we're going to see is persecution is going to break out. You know who it's going to be primarily against? The Hellenistic Jews, Jewish followers of Jesus. They're the ones that are going to be, what, be dispersed. Philip is going to take Stephen's place because Stephen's going to be, what, martyred? And Philip takes the gospel where? To Samaria. Okay? They're scattered. And the, the focus is on these, these Hellenistic Jewish followers of Jesus. As if the Hebrew Jewish followers of Jesus, including the apostles, are kind of laying a little low here. Alright? That's how radical Stephen's message is. So, what do we get from that? Alright? Number one. Now don't take me out and stone me when I tell you this. Okay? This is an unpopular message. This is a Stephen radical message. But what do we learn from him? Are you ready? Here it is. Number one, Christianity can never coexist with comfort. Christianity, he's, what? What? Now I live in a culture where everything is predicated upon being comfortable. I work five days a week, six days a week, whatever you work with, so you can afford to buy things, so you can live comfortably, so you can create a great lifestyle for your kids. 
That's the American dream. Right? Isn't that what we hear? But is that necessarily God's dream? Now, am I making an indictment against those of us who want to have a comfortable lifestyle? No, I enjoy a comfortable lifestyle. But here's the point. And this is what we see in Stephen. There will come a place in time in your life and my life as we are followers of Jesus, as we want to yell, Pencil! to the culture that we live in. That we're going to have to step out and willing to be inconvenienced and made uncomfortable. The comfort in our priority has to come below the cross. Does that make sense? Do you hear what I'm saying? That sincere Christianity, we live lives sold out to Jesus, right? It can't coexist with comfort. Stephen demonstrates that by his willingness to bring a radical message to his culture, to his time, even at the expense of his life. Number two, the gospel is by nature so radical that sooner or later, Christians who are committed to following Jesus, that are serious about their faith, sooner or later, they'll be called to challenge people's thoughts and actions. It just is. By the way we live, and by the way we live, when it's questioned what we have to say in response, it's going to challenge the status quo. The message of the gospel is radical. It's life-changing. It's transforming. And if we are the messengers of that message, sooner or later, we're going to be challenging cultural assumptions and norms. It's just the way it is. Stephen demonstrates that for us. And then number three, when we do that, when we do that, we must reflect both the holiness of God and the love of God. The holiness of God and the love of God. Now we read in Acts 6 and 7 about about Stephen's character. He had stand-up character. He was a man full of faith. That is, he trusted, what, Jesus and took Jesus at his word. He was a man full of the Spirit. That is, the message he gave, the life he gave, he lived, was full of the wisdom and the power of the Spirit. And he was a man full of grace. It said that he literally was a gracious person, a loving person. So he had a stand-up character. But he had a stand-firm conviction. And he was willing to live for that conviction. And that stand-firm conviction was based in his understanding of the Scripture and the teachings of Jesus in which he would not compromise. And he cared enough to shout to the culture of his time, Pencil! The path you're going is a dangerous one. He was a holy man. But he was moved by his love for God and his love for people. And that needs to be our motivation too. Well, it's ironic. As we move into Acts chapter 8, we're going to see a man that's present when all this is taking place. His name's Saul of Tarsus. And in the way that God works... Saul, who's, who's really instrumental in, in Stephen's martyrdom, right? 
he's going to be the one ultimately that God uses to take the message of the gospel to the Gentiles it's because of Stephen his stand up character and his stand firm conviction that sets the stage that even the one who would hold the cloaks while he's being stoned and put to death Stephen is Paul, Saul of Tarsus he's going to be the one that God uses to move out into the Gentile world. And so this morning, as uh, we take communion, as we think about Christ's sacrifice for us, I'm reminded that it's the love of God that compels us. The love of God that compels us. To be healthy, that is to pursue Christ. And to be missional, that is to pursue His priorities in the world. And oh, that in doing so, that we would have stand-up character, that we would be full of faith, that we would be full of the Spirit, that we would be full of His grace, and that we would have stand-firm conviction, that we would not waver, that we would stand on God's Word, that we would take Jesus at His Word, and that we would be willing, even at the risk of our own comfort, to give the hard message that there's pencil in the culture and that Jesus offers the only thing that can save it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Stephen. Lord, for his stand-up character and his stand-firm conviction. And Father, we ask that you would work through us and in us that we might be your messengers in our world that we would be willing to trust Jesus and take him at his word, that we would be able to declare that God no longer dwells in a building made with human hands, but God wants to live in the lives of men and women and children who by faith receive him as their Savior. That's a powerful, life-saving message with eternal spiritual implications. May we stand in our culture in our day willing willing to deliver that message. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.